you stand with me, and uh, as we immediately go into our scripture, James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Last week we had the opportunity to dig into a single verse. This week we'll extend that a little bit. James chapter 1, starting with verse 2. Jacob, if you can turn me down just slightly. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of, its, of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Heavenly Father, this is your word. May it affect us and may it change us. We ask that you do just that. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I remember when I was in elementary school that the teacher would always teach us three quick things to do. Three quick things to do if we ever caught on fire. What, what, what was that? Stop, drop, and roll. In fact, Mrs. Underhill, my first grade teacher, she had us practice from time to time, which I enjoyed as uh, being someone who didn't want to sit around or s sit in the desk all day. And since 1981, when I was just a little first grader at Newark grade school, the fire safety message has tremendously increased. A and, and in direct correlation with that, there have been less childhood uh, fires from that. In fact, uh, out of, in, 2000, uh, in 2014, in the estimated 61 million children ages 0 to 14 in the United States, there were only 285 deaths. And I say only because that's a 50% decrease since 10 years prior to that. When I was a principal, every single year, uh, we had specific emergency drills. If you're part of a school system, you understand that there are drills that you do every single year. In fact, according to the Illinois Statute 105 and the School Safety Drill Act, public and private schools are required to conduct three fire drills every single year, one bus evacuation every year, and one tornado drill. We would have to identify what, what happened in those events, uh, what we did, what our times were, and then we would send that in to the state. In addition, we would always conduct a code red drill as well, which is a lockdown drill uh, for our school. Why? Why would we spend so much time, so many resources on doing this? Because we knew that something was gonna happen. We didn't know what, we didn't know when, but we knew that there was gonna be something to happen. In fact, in fact, every one of those situations I have been a part of in real time. I've been par a part of a fire, a tornado, uh, a code red. I've been part of a, a bus evacuation. All of them. And without fail, every single one of those things went off without incident. The students and the staff that were involved knew exactly what they were supposed to do because we had practiced. We had prepared for that day. We knew what was gonna happen. We assumed certain things. 
and we were ready. You know, sometimes I start off weird conversations with my kids, and I'll say, what if you, and then I'll throw out a scenario. Like, like I'll say, what if, uh, I remember we were driving through Yorkville one time, I said, what if you found yourself out in that field right there? Maybe I was asking Molly, and I said, no phone, it's just you by yourself. You woke up and, whoa, I'm out here. What would you do? What would be the scenario? I want them to think about what, what would be their next step. I then would ask the question, hey, what if you woke up and you were on the roof of that building? What would be your next step? Hopefully not off the building. But what would be that next step? What happens if you came home, came home alone? That's a, I've talked to Reggie and Molly about this. I said, what happens if you, you get off the bus and you're home alone? What's your next step? What do you do? I want them to think about those scenarios because at some point, they're going to be in a scenario like that. I want them to think logically and, and maybe outside the box as well. Well, today we're, uh, just like last week, we are going to get to open up somebody else's mail and, and, and take a sneak peek at, at what this guy, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, what he had to say to countless Jewish Christians back in about 45 A.D., and, and he's trying to explain to them how they should um, act, how they should react, how they should prepare themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. The 11 verses that we read today, they're going to help us understand a little more of, of how we should prepare, how we should act and react to trials and tribulations. Because as Pastor Dave said, we are going to have trials. We are going to have trials. Last week, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm standing right there in the middle of this aisle talking with Bill and Dave, and we're talking about uh, the budget meeting that's coming up today, and Maddie comes up to me, and Maddie says in a nice, calm voice, oh, hey, Dad, yeah, uh, Allie told the car, um, and... Uh, uh, they're they're uh, down the road, and uh, maybe you want to come come out. I was like, okay. Immediately after preaching the, the 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 introduction, the overview, if you will, of James, a trial hits us. You better believe it. When I'm s sitting out there, obviously Allie's okay. Jacob was in the car too. Both airbags deployed. Car's not okay though. But when a trial hits you like that, right after preaching about it, the Lord really working in your heart, saying, okay, preacher, do you believe what you preach? You see, the problem is, I know some of you who have preached will say this, the problem is, is that we spend so much time reading and studying and preparing that it affects us so much. And then you get put in the situation, and bam, how are you going to react? How are, how are you going to deal with this trial? Well, James, for him, he has a three-step process for us that I see. Three-step disaster plan, if you will, uh, of, of how to handle the situation. Step one. Remember. Step one is remember. We're going to dig into some scriptures and see and understand why James is even saying these things. Immediately we think of somebody from the Old Testament. There, there, there's many faithful in the Old Testament. Job. Job 14.1 says, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Trouble. Job, he knew quite a bit about trouble, didn't he? In the first, first chapter of, of Job, here's what, he, here's what he says, what Job 1, 13 says. Job's sons and daughters were having a feast in his home of the oldest son when someone rushed up to Job and said, while your servants were plowing, 
with your oxen and your donkeys were nearby eating grass, a gang of Sabians attacked and stole the oxen and donkeys. Oh my goodness, trouble. Next thing he says, your other servants, well, they were killed. And I was the only one to escape and tell you. Man, he's got to think, what in the world's going on? That servant was still speaking when a second one came up and run, came up saying, God sent down a fire that killed your sheep and your servants. What? I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Before that servant finished speaking, a third one raced up and said, three gangs of Chaldeans attacked and stole your camels. All of the other servants were killed, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job is not having a good day. That servant was still speaking when a fourth one dashed up and said, your children were having a feast and drinking wine at the home of your oldest son. When suddenly a windstorm from the desert blew the house down, crushing all of your children. I'm the only one to survive. Unbelievable. You see, I had a trial. Allie and Jacob were in the car accident, but Allie and Jacob walked away without a scratch on them. Job here is dealing with unbelievable amounts of trial. Later on, we see that Satan puts boils on him, that, that he's not even recognizable. His wife tells him, you better curse God. And his friends, his three friends, they're no help. He went through trials, and what did Job do? He continued to praise the Lord. David, he was chased down, hunted down, if you will, and tried to be killed. Joseph was sold into slavery, spent many, many years in prison. The people of God were completely enslaved in Egypt until Moses released them through God's help. In fact, we see over and over in the book of Hebrews about the heroes of faith and, and how many of them never received any promise that was to come, but yet they continued to praise the Lord. We also need to remember that these trials have impacted the followers of Christ in the New Testament. Acts 6.8 records the story of Stephen. He's being stoned to death. People are picking up stones and chucking it at him. And he is still praising the Lord. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is a moment of trouble. That is a trial that you and I have no idea about. James, the son of Zebedee, as we heard last week, he was martyred. He was beheaded. As he's walking up to there, he was in trouble, but he would not renounce the Lord. John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, we see that he was preaching and baptizing. And he was put into prison, and eventually he was also beheaded, continuing to praise the Lord. History tells us that the Apostle Andrew, he was crucified, James the Lesser, he was stoned. John, who penned the book of Revelation, he was exiled after being beat many, many times. And let's just leave him out there. Bartholomew, he was beaten. Then he was crucified. Judas and Matthias, they were stoned to death. Matthew and our friend, old Doubting Thomas, they were speared with a sword. Philip and Simon, crucified. And then, and then Peter not feeling worthy to be just like the Lord, he said, go ahead and crucify me, but make sure it's upside down. I am not worthy to be executed like my Lord has. All through these trials, all through these tribulations, things that it's hard for us as Americans in Shabana, Illinois, to have any clue about, and yet they praise the Lord. We even know that the Father's Son had many trials, right? We know that Jesus, he was captured while he was praying to God, please take this from me, my Father. Nevertheless, thy will be done. He humbled himself. Philippians says he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, before going to the cross, 
Jesus, he was beaten. He was beaten. He was going through a trial again that it's hard for us to understand. He was whipped with numerous leather thongs that they were like 18 to 24 inches long and they had bone and, and, and glass and metal all embedded in the leather and at times they'd, they'd take a, an iron rod and, and beat them. And you know he was, he was punished 40, 40 times but because of the wonderful grace of the Roman soldiers and the Roman rules they, and the Jewish law, they, they only gave him 39 instead of 40. And after the scourging, the Roman soldiers, they decided to beat him some more. And they punched him in the face and they, they kicked him. They spit at his face. And then they got a, a crown of thorns and they smashed it on his head. He's going through all these trials knowing What's at the end? And then he carries a 75 to 100 pound uh, uh, piece of lumber on his back and he, and he carries that up to the place where he's going to be hung in shame. And there they lay him out and, and they take a seven inch iron spike and they, they go right between the two bones to hit that median nerve, to smash it and to cause excruciating pain. And then they also do the same thing with his feet going through the second and third metatarsal in one foot, into the other, into the wood. Eventually, as he's up there, it creates a situation where you either, either your heart explodes or you're suffocated. The entire goal of that process has caused the worst and most severe pain that they could possibly come up with. Very low loss of blood, except for the beating. Yet, Jesus continued to praise his Father, continued to forgive the people. You must remember that trials have impacted our family and our friends. That would include me. It would include you. It would include all of us. Pastor Dave said it already. We all could make a list, couldn't we? I almost, almost decided to do that. Where, where I was going to take a moment and, and have you guys just pull out a piece of paper and write a list of, of the trials that you've been through in your life. heavy no matter how old you are or how young you are you have been through a lot of trials in my life I've had friends that have lost their little babies they've lost their teenage daughter they've lost their spouse to cancer I have friends who have watched their parents get a divorce I've watched family and friends go through divorces. I watch people lose jobs. I've lost jobs. Lose a home to fire. Financial issues, witness bankruptcies, theft, prison sentences, lies, adultery, and even murder. That's just from my perspective, a small little list that I created. Friends, there's one thing for sure. You and I, we're going to have trials. You and I, we are going to have to deal with them in some fashion, in some way. And this is just, this is step one. Step one says, just remember, remember that it isn't if, it is when you have trials. When? Step two. Respond. Respond. James lays out several responses that the Christians should have when trials come their way. The first one 
first one's interesting. Should be one of rejoicing. Should be one of rejoicing. And I know that you're, you're looking at me and saying, why? Pastor Phil, why in the world would we rejoice over a trial? Why would we rejo rejoice uh, when, when bad things are happening? Stephen wasn't rejoicing. Job wasn't rejoicing. Jesus wasn't rejoicing. I know that on October 2nd, 2015, when I lost my father, I wasn't rejoicing. So what in the world is James saying here? Why would he make this statement? Verse 2 says again, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The New Living Translation says it this way, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. An opportunity for great joy. It doesn't make sense to me. It does not make sense to me, brothers and sisters. Several months ago, we were having this awesome family day. We're on the farm. I, I'm getting the grill ready. It's, it's all heating up. I, I got to go get some more stuff in, in the house. And, and I walk into the house, and, and, and I grab something. Sherry's outside doing something. The boys are out playing somewhere. I don't know where the girls are at this point. And, and as I'm walking out, I don't know what I'm carrying. I can't remember that uh, variable, but I hear screeching. Just screeching, like somebody yelling so loud. And I, as I'm walking out the door, and you'll see this when you're at my house uh, next Sunday, and I look out to the shed, and it's Reggie. And Reggie is just screaming for help. Ah! And I'm thinking to myself, a hundred different things in a matter of a second of what it might be. And I look, and Reggie has his arm stuck in the garage door as it's going up. You see, we have this garage door that sits next to the shed. It's like connected with the shed. It's not the actual garage. It's where a farmer would store maybe a little bit more valuable stuff, if you will. Maybe a little mower or something to that effect. And he's totally stuck in there. In my head, again, this is only a couple seconds going on as my eyes are clearing in on Reggie. I'm thinking his arm is going to be ripped off. Little Reggie. And so I drop, I don't even know what I had. And like Usain Bolt, I was the fastest man alive running, running that distance. And as I'm getting up there, Jacob, who was doing something over uh, uh, in the yard, who I didn't see in my first view, he got over to Reggie first. He maybe is like Usain Bolt. And you know what? The door was a manual door. That wasn't calculated in my head at the moment. So Jacob just kind of pulled the door down and, and Reggie's arm released. And I picked Reggie up and I just held him tight after looking at his arm. And he was okay. Why would I rejoice over that? What if his arm was ripped off? You know, sometimes we say, sometimes we say, uh, oh, God is great. The cancer is, is done. The cancer is healed. God is great. He didn't get his arm ripped off. God is great. Allie and Jacob didn't get injured in the car. God is great if Allie and Jacob got injured in the car. God is great if Reggie doesn't have an arm. God is great if we die from cancer. Right? God is great. What's my point in telling the Reggie story? 
Reggie was in the midst of trial, even for a short period of time. Why would that be an opportunity for joy? Why would that be? Why would he rejoice? You know, in our minds, we want to rejoice when there's no trial. That life's going good. Everything's going great. And you know, we are the worst. How about I hit us between the eyes here? Christians are the worst. Because we are happy people. Yeah, it's great. Everything's good. <laughs> Everything's going wonderful. When we know that there's trials going on. It seems logical that we shouldn't rejoice when we have trials, only when things are going well. Let's look at some other scriptures. Philippians 4.4. 4. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Beatitudes. Remember we said this is a very similar correlation to the Beatitudes. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Romans 5.3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings. I think it's been demonstrated over and over that we all will deal with trials and tribulations. We know that we will all suffer. So why in Romans? Why in Philippians? Why in the Beatitudes? Why in James is he saying rejoice? Why is he saying there is joy? There's an opportunity for joy. Because it produces real endurance. Because it produces real endurance. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So why have an attitude of joy? Because you will have the knowledge that with any particular trial, you will gain endurance. Every trial tests your faith. Every little one is saying, do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Not God, lowercase g. Not some God of, of, in your mind that you have created. No, do you trust the almighty God the Father, the one who has created the world, the one who has created everything, do you trust God with this? In order to gain endurance, in order to get stronger, you need to train through repetitive activity. And this goes for most things. Maybe I've told you the story before. As I get older, I start telling the same stories again and again. In 2011... It was just after school started, I, I found out, I was the superintendent of Lakewood Park Christian School, and I found out that we were putting on a 5K. We were the host of this huge town-wide 5K. I got it in my mind, I'm going to run this 5K, and I'm going to ask Jacob, who had just recently come to America, I'm going to ask him to join me. Well, my secretary, Colleen, Every day she would get done with work and she'd go outside and she'd run uh, laps and she, she just was a runner. She loved running. And so she, she says to me, Mr. Chapman, you signed up for the 5K. Are you going to start training for that? I looked at her. I said, Colleen, it's 3.11 miles. I could do that in my sleep. <laughs> uh. so September comes around and we wake up in the morning at my house and Jacob is nervous as all get out because again Jacob is newly in America and, and he's, he's just what is this he doesn't even understand what the 5k is there's going to be a lot of people there and we get we get into the race, and, and we sign up. We get our numbers on. Man, I looked cool. I really did. I had my Lakewood shirt on. I was the superintendent, so it was kind of my gig. And uh, 
And so then they said, hey, you're also the starter. You get to shoot the, the gun with the blanks. I'm like, yeah, this is good. I'm loving this. Okay, I've got the blowhorn talking to people. And, uh, you know, you guys can imagine me with a whole huge crowd. And, and so I'm enjoying that. And, and so we're in the front of this, I don't know how many people. Let, let's just say it's 200 people. I don't know if I'm exaggerating or, or saying light. And we're in the very front, Jacob and I. And so, on your mark, get set. And I shoot that gun, and I toss that gun over. And man, Jacob and I start off. Man, we are cruising. We are flying. We are doing great. In the front of the pile, and I'm going through the whole city right now, the main downtown. That's kind of, we start a little behind it, we go through the main town. As we get through the main town, maybe 200 yards into the run. I'm overwhelmed with exhaustion. <laughs> I started off a little too fast. But I have my son to worry about. My nine-year-old son is with me, and I'm supposed to be showing him how it's done. And I look ahead, and I see the art teacher's uh, husband, and, and I said, Jacob, you see that guy? And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> and, and I go, follow him. And Jacob goes, follow him? I said, yeah, the whole way, just follow him. He goes, okay, and just, and he's like up with that guy. I start walking. <laughs> and, and in this time, I start having conversations with people, you know, because I'm, I am dying. And, and I'm talking to people. There was one time I sat down. <laughs> so now let's fast forward 23 minutes into the race. And the crowd is going nuts. The band is playing, this huge band. And they're going nuts because little nine-year-old Jacob at 23 minutes is running just no, without, I, I don't think he's sweating. He had no idea, and he's just running. He probably could have done it better at that point. He literally didn't know what he, was, what he was doing. So then, Sherry and the girls, they're, they're all waiting, and Reggie has no idea what's going on. And, and, and they're all just waiting for me to come in. And then... Here comes the lady in the wheelchair. <laughs> and she comes through the finish line. Sherry at that point is like, oh, my husband, he is so great. He went with the person at the end so they didn't feel bad. What a great husband I have. But that's not what was happening. <laughs> so this lady, who, who had to be 304, she passes me, and I'm not even joking. I'm putting forth effort, and I, I'm like, no, that's, that's, that's the last straw, and I give every ounce of energy for the last, let's just call it a quarter mile. It probably was 100 feet, but in my mind, it was a quarter mile, and I am full out sprinting. Now, from the spectator's view, I'm probably walking, but I am sprinting full out, and I am going hard, and I'm waiting for the cheers and stuff. There's nothing. There's, there's no, I, I think people are starting to leave at this point. It's, it's plus 30 minutes, and, and, and so I, I did beat that lady, by the way, and as I get through the finish line, which Sherry thought was a joke, literally, she thought I was joking, I was being funny, I didn't want to talk to anyone because I was exhausted. Did I have endurance? No. I, I, had, I had not run. In fact, I, I used to play basketball three days a week prior to being a superintendent without fail. And because of the superintendency, I literally, it, it killed all of my time. I was so busy. I, I was playing maybe once a week, probably once every two or three weeks. So I didn't even have that going for me. And, and so 
I had zero energy, zero endurance. I had no idea. And I, could, I couldn't even get through 3.11 miles because I wasn't prepared. You see, when a trainer prepares, they work through the pain. They work through the pain of, of going to the extra mile. They really train for it. I didn't do short runs. I didn't do long runs. I didn't do sprints, jogs. I didn't even do walks. I thought I could handle it all, but I was wrong. I had no perseverance, no endurance. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Our response should be one of rejoicing because it produces real endurance that results in patience. It results in patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, endurance is patience. When, when, you, when you go through something and, and when you, you meet all of those trials, you learn to endure through it and, and you gain patience through that process. J.B. Phillips' New Testament says, for verse 4, but let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you will find that you will become men of mature character with the right sort of independence. Why do you get patience? Because you've endured it so many times. You understand that this is just another trial. You know that you will be fine because of faith. And it says it right there in Scripture, it's because of faith. It's the testing of your faith. And the faith is all about God. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for the good to those that love the Lord, to those that are called according to his purpose. And these experiences, these trials, they create the right thinking. They create the right thinking. Verse 5 through 8. If anyone you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The whole point here, the whole point that James is trying to get is that you need to understand why you are going through these trials and what the benefits are. You need to have that wisdom to understand that God is going to take care of you. James is saying that these Christians, that they need wisdom. They need wisdom. Sometimes I tell my kids, I said, you're lacking wisdom in this scenario. You're lacking wisdom with this. And they look at me like I have three eyes. Like, what are you talking about, Dad? As a school teacher, I'd rather have my kids have wisdom than uh, have comprehension. I want them to, to know something, not just for the short period of time. I want them to gain a life lesson. I want them to see the bigger picture. In order to see these trials in a proper way, you require wisdom. And James, that's what he's doing. He's giving us a process. As the Phillips Bible says, it's a process to gain this wisdom. Rejoice, gain endurance, patience. If you can't understand these, James is saying, if you don't understand the process, if you don't understand what's happening, go to God. Go to God the Father and ask him for wisdom. That's what it's saying here is beg God with proper, proper prayer. Be kind and, and, and thankful for God the Father, the creator of everything, and ask for wisdom. He knows your heart. He knows your need, and he will give it to you. He promises you that. I can go on and on explaining how, how someone should really come before the Father and, and, and really ask for that and 
whether or not a person is being sincere in their presentation, we have, to, we have to keep moving on. So what does James say next? He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You see, this wisdom affects the perspective of the financially woeful and the financially wealthy. You may be saying, oh, hey, pastor, so if I ask, God's going to make me rich? That's going to be great. That's not, what, that's not what James is saying here. That's not what the Holy Spirit had James pen here. In fact, it, it almost doesn't even need to be about money. He just uses this because he knows people understand those two variables. He, he understands that people know that in his time, there are people who are either very wealthy or very poor, not in between. There weren't the middle class, as we call it here in America. So he understood that people would understand this message. You see, people that, or, or this is a continuation of his message. This isn't a break-off. It may even be a paragraph break-off in your, in your Bible. But this isn't a break-off from what he's talking about here. This is talking about understanding your trials. Understanding your trials and, and gaining endurance from that. And, and needing wisdom. Someone who gains godly wisdom, that they'll understand that through the trials, they, they can understand the trials from God's point of view as much as possible. And they'll be able to understand more things. In fact, if you and I start understanding from God's point of view of trials, if Village Bible Church, Indian Creek, truly understood how we are to respond, how we're to be able to rejoice through trials in our lives, we would make the most dynamic impact that you have ever witnessed. Because so many times, you and I, we sit in our bed at night and we say, woe is us. I've had a really, really bad day. I've had a super tough week of all these things that have happened. I do the exact same thing. That's part of being who we are. But that's where asking God for wisdom to help us to understand from a completely different perspective. So what's James getting at? Simply put, if you are poor, if you are poor, you need to realize that Jesus Christ, what he has done for you. You need to understand the eternal life that has been given to you. It far outweighs any value of your 401k, of the money in your bank, the value of your real estate. It, it is it is more beautiful than silver, more costly than gold. You know, Pastor Keith said to me the other day, we were talking, and, and he said, you know what's interesting? We were at Sugar Grove, and he said, this church probably won't exist in 100 years. It was just weird for him to say that, and, and I, I, was, I was taken back. He goes, Maybe none of our churches. And maybe if they're here, maybe they'll, they'll look completely different. Maybe they'll be used for something else, or, or, or maybe they'll be praising a different God. Or Wow. That's heavy to think about. That's, that's heavy stuff to think about because his point was is it's not always going to be here. 
We look back 100 years ago, and there's a lot of things that were there that aren't here anymore. talking to somebody a couple days ago and he's talking about money. He's talking about this farmer and, and he said, man, that, that guy, he has so much money. And I, I didn't smile. I may have thought of smiling. I said, that man has no money. He's dead. That's, that's the poor man can understand that he has more than any wealth in the world. He has the eternal gift of Jesus Christ. Psalmist put it, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Later in the same book, J James will speak of a time on earth that it will vanish. And it will be gone. Being rich is a trial too. Some of you are saying, hey, I'll take that trial. But it's equally the same. Equally the same. You rely then on yourself and your mind. You rely on, on your own deeds. And James is reminding here, <laughs> it's all going to go away. It's all going to vanish. It, you, you will be humbled. You won't take one dime with you. Yeah, you may have money now, but you have nothing in the end. He's just, he's just trying to give perspective. It's the wisdom that is gained. Final. Step three. Receive. Receive. Verse 12 reads, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will Receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. After you've been put through the test, your faith shall be proven to be genuine. Genuine. Blessed, he starts off. Blessed. Blessed is holiness. Godliness. Consecrated. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. The entire thing, according to James, and, and, and so many others throughout Scripture, is that our faith will be proven to be genuine through our works, through our trust and our efforts towards God. That's how it's, how it's tested. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Matthew 7.16 says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Titus 2 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. James will reiterate it himself in the third chapter when he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. When your faith is shown to be genuine, James says, you will receive the gift of the crown of life. You'll receive the gift of the crown of life. When the Christian receives this crown, when their testing is done, when is the testing done, by the way? When is the testing done? Well, when the short life that we live when it's over. Pam's father. The testing is done. I'm not speaking of that just from some logical, earthly understanding. I'm speaking it from a, a biblical standpoint. The testing is done. In our lives, we will continue to have trials. We will continue to have issues in our life that we need to over and over and over lay them at the feet of Jesus, give them to God, our Father. He is strengthening us to be stronger believers. 
to gain that endurance so we can, no matter what comes our way, no matter how many waves splash at us, no matter how much wind is blowing, our eyes are focused on Jesus. Our eyes focused on the King. And all those who call out to him in love. Love is crucial. Our love for God is crucial, knowing that he is the almighty God who literally sent his son to live, to die, to be resurrected. Knowing that God has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. That's the most special gift. That's the most special gift that we could ever receive. And this is what the crown of life is. The crown of life is eternal life. That's what that crown is. It's eternal life spent worshiping the king. When you have that assurance, sure is more precious than silver and more costly than gold. <clears throat> the greatest thing about this is that our love doesn't come from us. When we learn to love God it doesn't come from us. It's because he first loved us. If it wasn't for God first loving us, we couldn't do any of this. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We are so unfaithful to you in a variety of ways. But God, I ask that you continue to teach us and strengthen us. Give us the endurance. Don't let us uh, be exhausted. But let us renew our energy. Let us run the race that you have set before us. To say I'm anxious to have that crown of life is to, is to say it lightly. I can't wait to spend eternity with you, praising you. But until that time, Lord, I ask that you give me, that you give this congregation opportunities to worship you freely and openly. Give us opportunities to share it with others, not to hold it to ourselves. Lord, would you make us a people that, that are transparent, not only in, in what we believe and who we follow, but with our troubles, with our trials. Would you help us to lean on one another to gain wisdom? Most of all, help us to seek you and to beg from you continued strength and continued wisdom. Thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.